Hello and welcome to episode 66 of the Haskin Cast podcast. My name is Scott Haskin and I am very excited to bring you today's guest. We're going to get to her very quickly. I'm going to go over a couple of things with you first. I got to tell you, this was one of the most enjoyable interviews that I've done so far. Uh, Gabrielle Stone is such a sweetheart. We've only recently met, but uh, we've had a lot of mutual connections. Uh, I've heard from various people what a wonderful person she is, and she certainly turned out to be. Uh, while I have been doing uh, website updates and marketing and stuff like that, I binged every podcast I could find that she had done. Uh, because, you know, most of the people that I've had on the show are people that I know, at least to a, a reasonable degree, that I can have, uh, you know, intelligent questions to ask and, and a good flow of conversation. But since Gabrielle and I hadn't actually met, uh, I wanted to kind of get to know her a little bit. And uh, so I binged every podcast and learned quite a bit about the book. I cannot wait to uh, find some time to read it. It's really tough, uh, unless it's in an audio format where I can listen while I'm doing other things. Uh, it's really tough for me to find time to dedicate to just sitting down and reading since I have a few things going on. And uh, just to, to tell you where I'm at, the Haunted Holidays Deadly Christmas 3 album, I have approved my final mix thanks to a secondary opinion from my friend Randy Rohrbach, who is... Uh, faithfully been my second set of ears for a few years now. And uh, he uh, he sent me a couple of notes on things I needed to take another look at. Very minimal stuff, though. I, I'm very happy with the, uh, with the mix. And then, uh, of course, one of the things was, you know, you might want to check on this, which turned into me revamping the entire song. And uh, then I had to kind of get that back mixed in with the rest of the album. And uh, he gave me the, the final thumbs up. And so uh, I'm actually moving to mastering. I'm recording this on Saturday. Uh, you guys will get this on Wednesday morning. And uh, so I'm kind of time traveling a little bit because tomorrow I'm excited to record my dear friend of many years, actress Kimberly, who has just put her first book out. And uh, tomorrow, Sunday, is the uh, launch. It's the launch day. It comes out on Amazon on Sunday. So I'm going to record and edit and release that one on Sunday. And then this one with Gabrielle will come out back on my regular schedule on Wednesday. So uh, I'm kind of shifting time a little bit here. So I start mastering the album tonight, uh, right after I'm done uh, uploading this podcast, then I'll start working on the mastering. Hopefully I will have that done in the next couple of days and then uh, get that album uploaded and ready for distribution. The uh, cover that Kelly came up with once again, knocked it out of the park. I absolutely love it. And Rebecca did some beautiful lettering that uh, fits with the lettering she did on the other two Haunted Holidays albums. Uh, very, very happy with both of them. They're such awesome people. I have a great team. And I'm very, very thankful to both of them for working with me on all these projects and as we go forward, doing a lot more stuff together. So that's kind of where things are at. I'm still up in the air on what the next album is going to be. Uh, still working on the novel as well. So lots of things going on here. Um, so that's that's pretty much catching up on on me. Getting back to Gabrielle and the uh, the interview that I did with her a few days ago, uh, just such a, an, you know, all these interviews that she's done and she's still so excited, so energetic, um, really loves to, to talk about the work that she's put out there. And this is a real personal journey. Now, of course, like I said, I haven't read the book yet, 
But uh, in listening to all the the different interviews and things that she did, um, I have a pretty good feel for it. And and I'll tell you, this is a no holds barred raw. This is what happened. I'm not sugarcoating it. This is it. This is what I did. And uh, I I'm, I'm just impressed. I think it's so easy to want to edit ourselves to have these perfect little lives like social media shows that we do. Oh, look, my coffee was made perfect and everything else that happened in my day was just perfect and nothing goes wrong ever. Um, It's bullshit. You know what? We all have problems. We all go through ups and downs. We go through good times, bad times, whatever. Um, There's nothing wrong with, with showing that you're living a human, normal existence. In fact, if everything was as great as people said it was on social media, no one would ever learn anything. No one would grow. No one would become better people. Nothing would ever change. So what's, what's the point of that? You know, live, learn from your experiences, take hold of them, do something positive with them like Gabrielle did. I'm not saying you have to go on a, you know, month-long trip to Europe but do something positive, make an impact, do something that changes someone else's life. You'll feel better about yourself when you do that too. So we talk a lot about the book. Of course, that's, uh, that's the primary thing right now. And if you, if you question whether you should buy it or not, here's what I'm going to tell you. Just go to Amazon and start reading the feedback. I mean, it's phenomenal. You can tell that that this book is inspiring people. You can tell it's making a difference, that uh, it's giving people hope. It's making people feel better. So read it. And that's all I have to say about that. The links are in the show notes for Amazon. Uh, also, though, we talk about some of the work that she's done in films. Uh, there is the It Happened Again Last Night short. There is the trailer for After Emma. And I'm really excited for this movie to come out. Uh, it's, uh, it, it looks very, very powerful. And I know how trailers can be cut to sort of manipulate the reaction of the audience, but I have a really good feeling about this movie. Um, it's, uh, it's kind of interesting that D Wallace is going to be in it. Um, they don't work together a whole lot, even being mother and daughter, they both have their own things going on. So they've only done it a couple times. So it's going to be fun to see that, uh, in the trailer, you get to see D being a lawyer, very well spoken in that scene. Love it. And uh, and Amy Smart is is the star of it. And boy, uh, you know, we talk about it a little bit in the interview, but uh, watch the trailer because my impression of Amy Smart has always been, you know, she does these nice little movies. She's uh, very uh, sweet, very authentic and a great actress. But everything that I've seen her in has been these sort of, uh, you know, heartwarming dramas. But man, just see the scenes with her in the trailer because... I, I really feel like she's just going to bring it in this movie and I cannot wait to see it. Uh, we talk about that. We talk about some other stuff she did and uh, it's, it was just a great interview. Definitely can't wait to have her back on the show and I'm going to shut up and quit talking now because I'm sure that you just want to hear the interview. So enjoy. Here is my interview with Gabrielle Stone. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I am very, very excited to bring my next guest onto the show. She has literally been to Europe and back, to hell and back, and heaven and back, and it was all in the same trip. Welcome, Gabrielle Stone. Gabrielle, how are you today? I'm so good. That's such an accurate intro. Thank you. <laughs> well, you know, it's uh, it's been fascinating, the the amount I've been able to follow your journey through this, and I'm so sorry I haven't had a chance to read the book. As my listeners know, uh, unless it's on audiobook, I usually don't have the time, but I will make the time, I promise, to read it because it sounds tremendous. Thank you. 
um, for those who don't know, I'm going to post the uh, YouTube trailer that you had sent to me to kind of give you an idea of where the book starts. So I never suggest this, but I'm going to suggest you stop the podcast now, click the link, watch the video, and then come back. Uh, basically, to uh, quickly sum it up in a nutshell, you found out that your hideous husband had been cheating <laughs> on you with someone barely out of high school for a ridiculous amount of time. Uh, what, like a third of your marriage? Yeah, we were married for almost two years, and I found out he was having an affair with a 19-year-old for six months. I'm not a fan of him. You know, not a lot of people are in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I don't blame them. I just, I don't get cheating. I don't understand it. If you want to be with somebody else, I get that. If you've fallen out of love with the person you're with or you started to grow apart, I get that. What I don't get is I'm committed to you, but I'm also going to do something else. That I just can't grasp that in my head. I totally agree. And I, I've even, I remember saying to him when we had our final conversation was like, if you would have just said, you know, I think this isn't going to work. I think we rushed into this or I don't love you anymore. I would have been like, cool, dude, let's be friends. Let's, you know, have a good break. And obviously that's not the road he chose. And that was not the case when it ended. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, I always feel like I have to apologize for men when I hear stupid things like this, but I, I'm sorry that happened to you. You're a lovely person. Nobody deserves to be cheated on, but uh, it's it just, yeah, it's life, I suppose. It is. Thank you. But, you know, it all happens for a reason. And if he wouldn't have made it so easy for me to be like, okay, I'm leaving, uh, I would have stayed in that relationship way too long trying to make it work because I had committed to it and, you know, gotten married. Um, so I, I'm really, in a weird way, thankful for him giving me an out. I'm so glad that you said that because I think that is really one of the biggest keys to life is people tend to dwell on on awful things or become the victim or make excuses. But if you can turn that around into something positive, that's really how you win at life. Absolutely. And I knew driving away from that house, I was dodging a huge bullet and was immediately thankful and knew that I was on a road to somewhere that was going to lead me to really great places. Good. Did you, did you at any point kind of do what I think would be normal and just question what's wrong with me that he doesn't want me or that he, that I'm not enough for him? You know, I didn't. And that might sound egotistical or ridiculous, but I never sat back and went, Oh, she's better than me. Oh, I must not be good enough. Um, I kind of, and maybe this was, through the way that I found out everything and how deep it was, I, I kind of just realized I was living with a sociopath Mm -hmm. for, for six months. And, um, it was really almost the opposite. I kind of sat in the situation before I handed him the papers and went, I'm better than this. Mm. Like I'm, I'm above what he's at and I'm going to leave because of that. Good. Um, yeah, and so maybe that was, you know, just my perspective of how I was looking at it or how it was feeling, because it's normal for a woman in that situation to be like, oh, she's younger. Oh, she's this. Oh, she's this. But none of I never found myself comparing uh, me to her. It was more of just like I'm destined for something that's bigger than what I'm in right now. I'm really glad because you you seem and you and I don't really know each other, but you seem like a very strong person. And 
I, w- I would have been sad if you felt that way, but I would have understood if there was at least some moment of questioning. But yeah. instead of becoming a victim to all this, you know, wallowing in, in, in sorrow, you just went back out there and then you met someone else. Well, I didn't, I didn't intend to, but yes, well, yeah. I am. Um, because of course I drove away from my house going, fuck men. I'm never going to like, I'm going to be single for a year at least. Like I'm just going to be by myself. And of course that led me directly into the arms of someone else. <laughs> yes. Well, and, yes. and that's also a very common thing because even if you don't feel uh, bad about the situation, there's still a void and emptiness. I mean, you would planned on being with this person for the rest of your life and now you're on your own again. Um, in the trailer, you were like, and then I met somebody I know. Do you <laughs> do you look back on that, and do you do you think that uh, it was kind of a rebound thing, or was there like a real genuine connection there? You know, I get asked that all the time, and I I wish it would have been a rebound. Um, Damn it! Man- I wanted to ask you nothing you had been asked before. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, um, but it's a good it's a good question that comes with a good answer because the man that I met after my my husband, whose name in the book is Javier, um, he broke my heart like my husband could have never done, um, and that was because I was so deeply in love with him. Um, I wish it would have been a rebound, so it wouldn't have been such a big deal. Um, but it, it really truly was this whirlwind romance. And the first night that he and I went out, it was like on both of our ends, we were like, this is it. This is my person. Um, I don't know what's happening, but we're going to go with it. And it went from zero to a hundred very fast. Um, and in that next month and a half, we were meeting each other's families and, you know, telling all of our friends. And he was like, his friends were like, I've never seen him like this before. And as was his mother, it was very intense. And I think the first night that we were together, he ended up saying, you know, I have a month's trip to Italy booked. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to tell you not to go travel. And he's like, no, I I want you to come with me. And of course, I'm like, you're fucking crazy. Um, (laughs) Like, what are you saying? And, you know, the next couple days, he kept persisting on it. And I was realizing that this was a serious option for me to go to Europe with this man. And so I asked him when he was leaving and he said September 4th, which would have been my two year wedding anniversary. And I asked when you were coming home and he said October 4th, which is my late father's birthday. So at that point I'm like, okay, universe, I get it. I'm going to Europe. Like I hear you. Um, so I booked my ticket and we're all ready to go. And 48 hours before we were getting on a plane, he told me he needed to go by himself and broke up with me. And I was left there going, well, I can either stay at home and be heartbroken or go travel Europe for a month by myself. And I'm not going to fucking sit around and watch him go gallivant around Italy. So I guess I'm going. (laughs) Yeah. Now, before everybody does what I initially did when I first heard that part of the story and jumps on Javier for being a dick, he was. Okay, let's face it. He was. (laughs) But there, there was a somewhat reasonable, and I, I'm not going to go into the story because I want people to read this in the book and, and just feel what you feel naturally. But yeah. there was a somewhat reasonable explanation for this last minute change of heart. Uh, yes. What I don't like about it is that he didn't approach you and say, look, this is what the the reality of this is. Um, I'm going to need some time on my own while we're on this trip. I should have told you that before, but it didn't really hit me. Like just some kind of maybe better communication and, and options other than just, 
yeah, I'm not going with you now. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, his, the reasoning behind it is valid on a personal level. And I was sympathetic to that. And I defended him, you know, to, to the bone for that. Yeah. And, um, but unfortunately I, and my heart got caught in the crossfire and that was what everybody, including myself was really upset about. And, um, so yeah, it, it definitely could have been handled a myriad of different ways, but you know, I can confidently say that I live in, I am a living example of everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times you can't see that until you're on the other side of it. But the moment he told me he was going to go by himself and I realized I was going to go by myself, um, I knew that what the reason was. And ever since I was a little girl and my dad passed away, I have had a deep fear of abandonment and not being okay by myself. And this is the universe's clear way of being like, well, Gabrielle, we're going to go face that shit head on. Right. And literally put me across the world by myself. <laughs> right. Now, uh, and, and of course, you know, in the book, you talk about the fact that you actually were on the, the flight together because that was the original intent. Yeah. But what I find interesting is you knew at that point that you were not just going to go on a trip. You were going to go on a life changing adventure. You knew you were going to write a book. You went to buy a, a, a journal at the airport. So yeah. at that point, you knew this is not just a trip. My life is really about to change, but I'm going to turn another negative into a positive and I'm going to take control over it. Yeah, um, I didn't even really look at it as like, I'm going to take this brokenness and make it into art. I just was in the middle of it. I was experiencing blow after blow. And at that point, the my life had become so ridiculous. My friends would literally call me and say, so what's going on in this week's episode of the Netflix show that's Gabrielle's life? Right. And so when I went um, and had the last conversation I had with Javier, um, when we fully decided he was going to go by himself and I told him I was still going to go, when he dropped me off, he looked at me and said, how are you feeling, Gabs? And I literally said, like, I'm about to go on a journey of eat, pray, fuck my life. And that's the title of the book. <laughs> like I knew, I yeah. knew right then, um, bought, bought the journal and started writing the book on the first day of the trip. Cause I knew that it, the, the circumstances were too ridiculous to, to not think that this was going to alter my life in some way. And I just, I knew it was going to be for a greater purpose for me to share the story. Sure. And I'm glad that you did, because just just on the if you go to Amazon right now where you can get the book uh, either in paperback or on Kindle, you you can read the feedback and read the really read the comments and see what people are saying, because you have emotionally connected with so many people in the short time that this book has been out. And I, I love that. I love that you've made a difference in people's lives. You've made them feel like it's OK to go through these things and take control and do something with it. And go have an adventure, find yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I'm reading the reviews that have come in on Amazon over the past two months has been so rewarding and humbling that people are resonating with it and connecting with it. And even more so the messages that I get on social media of like really personal messages about things that are going on in people's lives and how they read this book. And it came in divinely at the perfect time. And it really like saved them in different ways. It's just, it's incredible when you you know that your journey can then go and help other people heal. Have you uh, felt like you've become a bit of a therapist? Um, I, 
I have in, I've always been the therapist in my group of friends. Like I'm always the one that people call to, to ask advice and talk through things. Um, I don't at all consider myself like a, a therapist in any way, shape or form. I've not done a quarter of the schooling I would need to call myself that. Mm-hmm. But I, I do know that I'm, I've done a lot of work on myself. And I do come from a very like spiritual healing background and family. And because of that, I am pretty well versed in being able to talk through um, situations and helping people get to a, a clearer place around certain things. That's that's good. And it seems like having some experience, at least you can be uh, empathetic on a different level than most people can. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I, I have to ask you, though, knowing that you were going into this with the intent that you were going to be journaling while you were on this and, and probably turning it into a book. Do you think that on even maybe a subconscious level, do you think that that affected any of your decisions along the way? Like if you really weren't motivated, maybe one day to, to go out and interact that you're like, you know what though, I got to do it. No. And that's a really good question. So first off, let me preface by saying I, it wasn't like I just journaled the whole trip. Like I, if you open my journal, it says chapter one. And if you put that journal next to the finished printed book, it's almost completely the same barring, you know, all the edits and stuff that I later went back and tweaked and tightened up. Mm -hmm. Um, So I knew like the structure of it even just kind of came out and it was, I wrote like a third of it on the trip or sorry, like three fourths of it on the trip. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, I committed the first day that I was in London I committed to meeting myself exactly where I was every single day, no matter if that was wanting to sit somewhere and cry and feel something or go out and drink and meet people. Um, and I, I stayed true to that. There were days that I remember in Amsterdam, I was sitting in the little Airbnb apartment that I was at and I sat there and wrote for six hours. And it rained and I had tea and I just like was in it, like just in my emotions. And then there were days where I would go out and be wild and crazy because that's where my my soul wanted to go at that time. Um, and it's crazy to think that I didn't plan nor embellish anything in this book. Everything is exactly how it happened to a T. Um, unfortunately, my life does not need any extra drama <laughs> in it to make it interesting. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I definitely, you know, committed to, to meeting myself where I was at every single day. Yeah, I like that. And I like the fact that it's, it's organic and that it's honest. I yeah. think that in this, uh, in this, I have to show my life is perfect all the time. Look, my coffee's made perfect. Look, my pancakes are perfect. Look, I've got the perfect person in my life. Look, you know, it just, it, everything just seems so questionable. And fake. And that's, yeah. that's, what social media has done to our world. So when I got to the airport, I had Javier take a picture of me with my backpack on and I hadn't publicly announced anything about my divorce up until then. I had told, you know, my close family and friends. And I was like, you know what, if I'm going to go on this journey, like people need to know where I'm at. Like, I don't want to come back and have to talk about it. Like, I just want to get it out there. Mm -hmm. So I posted that first picture with my backpack on about the divorce, about then finding love again, and then deciding that this trip was actually going to be by myself. And I got hundreds of messages and comments 
from the time I posted it till the time we left on the plane of people saying, please like keep sharing your journey. I needed to see this today. This really spoke to me. Um, and cause I was originally planning on kind of disconnecting from social media when I went and after getting those messages, I knew that I, I had a kind of a responsibility to continue opening up and sharing my journey. And I didn't make everything seem or look pretty on that trip. There were days where my posts are like depressing as fuck and sad because mm-hmm. that's where I was at. Like I was heartbroken and there's posts that are like awesome and fun and happy because that's where I was at that day. So I, I definitely made it a point to show up um, on my social media authentically as myself, because there's so many times that people are at home like, God, why is this person's life so great? God, this person really has it all together. And it's like, no, she doesn't. She's getting a divorce because her husband was cheating on her with a child. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and also there's a safety issue to it too, that people at least need to know kind of where you are in case something happens. I mean, you didn't yeah. plan this with a travel agent. You didn't have an itinerary. You got to a city and you decided where you were going to go next. Yeah. It was very spontaneous. It was incredibly spontaneous. I mean, I definitely would text my mother and be like, this is where I'm heading to. Mm -hmm. And I would check in with, you know, I was still, I was in touch with Javier throughout the trip. I was was obviously in touch with my mom um, and some of my girlfriends and stuff. But yeah, it was very much so just flying by the seat of your pants and where do you want to go next, which is so unlike my normal personality that plans everything and researches everything. I mean, I didn't know where I was going to end up the next day. It was crazy. You're a producer. You're used to having everything in place and making sure that it's been checked on three or four times and then checked on again. And uh, yeah, flying by the seat of the pants uh, and a person who lives in that sort of world is not the same at all. No, it was vastly different and a huge adjustment to get out of my comfort zone for sure. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. If you don't want to answer or you don't know or if you tell it in the book, uh, that that's fine. Um, I don't want to get into it too much then, but I'm very curious since Javier had his own personal journey and specific issue that he was dealing with going on this trip, uh, did he come back, uh, fulfilled? Um, you know, I think that's only a question he can answer. I don't necessarily think he came back from that specific trip fulfilled. I know I didn't, I, I had started my healing journey, but it's, in by no means did I come back like, yay, I'm healed. And that process continued, you know, for another year and a half until quite recently. Um, so no, I don't think he came back from that specific trip necessarily healed. And I think the issue that he was dealing with and, you know, will continue to deal with is kind of an ever changing one. And until you really dig deep and go inside and do the work on that, um, it's going to be a, constant battle. So I think he is in a good place to where he's done a a majority of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, I'm just one of those people that wants everybody to be okay in the end. As do I. Possibly with the exception of your ex. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Still don't like him. Uh, So when when you were winding down and you knew that your time was almost up and you're kind of seeing the, the, the writing on the wall that it's time to get back on the plane to come home, was was your were you still on that high of the journey or were you starting to mentally kind of prepare for that? Now I'm going to be on a flight by myself across the world and I have to go back to reality now. 
well, I flew home with Javier because our tickets were booked on the same oh, flight. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So luckily I didn't have to fly alone. But no, um, the last like five chapters in the book, I think multiple times I'm like, fuck, I don't want to go home. Oh my God, don't make me go home. I, I was terrified to come home because I felt like I had gone on this giant life-changing journey and I knew that it had changed me as a person but I didn't necessarily feel like I was going home with all my shit together and like not heartbroken anymore. And that was, that was terrifying for me. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I was on the high of the journey, but there were still like many low points. Um, I remember, I think it was like our, my third or fourth final day there. I got an email from my attorney, my attorney who was forwarding me something from my ex-husband's attorney. And, uh, it was just like ruthless and mean and nasty. And, um, and I remembered sitting in Sicily crying and just being like, I can't go home to this because this this is what's waiting for me. And it was so like sad. I was just like, oh my God, I just want to keep going. And that thought did cross my mind that I was just going to not come home and like keep going. But in reality, it's like, I, I have like goals and ambitions and like, you know, I want to start pursuing them. And like, how much longer am I just going to gallivant around Europe spending more money? Like it was like, I needed to come home. <laughs> yeah. Did the timing of it just happen to work out where you were free of projects? Because you're you usually have three or four things going at a time. Yeah, it actually it worked out quite perfectly. The good thing about being an actress is like, you're either busy all the time, or you're never busy. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. But, um, but yeah, this, this particular um, month, I mean, I, when I, when I booked the trip, I had nothing booked. And I think I had something in November that was shooting. So all of September and October was free. Um, and that was why I originally like had agreed to go with him in the first place because I wasn't working. Right. Now I've never, uh, all the traveling I've done has been uh, here in the States or Canada because I grew up in Detroit. So we used to go to Canada quite often uh-huh. Uh, so when you're traveling the world though, and you're dealing with different cultures, you're dealing with different, uh, bacterias and different foods and all kinds of things. Did you, because you went from one place to another so fast, did you experience any health issues at all? Um, I didn't experience any health issues in the sense that like I picked up a bacteria or I got sick. Um, the only time I threw up on that trip was one night in Paris where I drank too much, <laughs> um, but I did come back from Europe and went back to the gym because I had, you know, been eating like an asshole over there for a month sure. and, um, did not hold back at all and don't regret it. It was amazing. Like I've never had food like that in my life. Um, but I came back and went back to the gym and my body that's used to snapping back in like, you know, three to four weeks, I was working out and three months went by. I was like, what is going on? This is not normal. And I went to the doctor and I had thrown my thyroid off. So I had to go on thyroid medication. And my mom was so funny after she read the book, she's like, no fucking kidding. You're messed up. Like you didn't (laughs) sleep for a month and you just kept going and going and going. Um, so I, I definitely wrecked my body while I was over there, but it was health stuff that I did to myself, unfortunately, not that I picked up while, while gallivanting around the world. (laughs) Sure. And, and, you know, if that's the price that you had to pay to have the experience that you did and be able to share it with everyone and, and inspire them and make them feel better, I, I mean, I can't say for you, but I would imagine that was worth it. 
yeah, I wouldn't change. I would have, there's no way I would have ever gone and not eaten the way that I did. Actually, Javier was getting ready for a role that he had to shoot right when we came back. So he was actually like dieting. And I was like, you're the only person that's ever gone to Italy and lost weight. He was like working out. And I was like, you're lost your damn mind if you think I'm doing that. I was like, I want every type of food I can try and then a second helping of it. Like, come on. <laughs> oh, the, the crepes alone would kill you. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and I mean, it wasn't just like, you know, it's one thing everyone's like, well, you don't gain weight because you walk. It's like, but you didn't eat like I ate. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, also, your body's not used to that amount of food to, to process. So it's going to process slower and, you know, it's going to change your metabolism, too. Absolutely. My body went from like kale and fruit smoothies to crepes and pasta. <laughs> right. Which are, you know, a couple of the worst things that you can do. But you know what? You got to live. You're, how many times do you get to go to Europe? Absolutely. It was completely worth it. But see, now as a producer, I would imagine that now see, this is one thing I have to ask because you're you also work as a producer and a director and an actress. And you do you do you, were you working also a little bit on that? Did you see some locations that are like, OK, I got to remember that because I want to come back here and shoot something? No. And that's a really interesting question. No, I did not do that. However, um, now that the book has been out for two months and it's it's gaining a lot of momentum and doing really well. Um, my manager, of course, has been wanting to shop it as a series. So now I'm going, oh, my God, do we get to go back to all those awesome places? Because that's like my goal. If I had to like write something to go direct or act in, it would be in all of those places. Right. So the fact that I accidentally kind of did that is fantastic. <laughs> yes. Yeah. As long as you, your follow up isn't like, uh, you know, something like eat, pray, fuck you, Antarctica. Right, right. <laughs> not a lot of good uh, bistros there. Uh, no, absolutely yeah. not. <laughs> but no, I think I think it's amazing. I mean, just just the 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 series of events is is such that most people, I think, would have crumbled under that. Even just the first section of it would have crumbled under the issue with your husband, let alone the second heartbreak. And uh, it's it's such a. a an inspiring thing, just taking the trip, let alone all the things that happened to you and that you learned along the way. Thank you. Yeah. And um, looking back on it and mind you, for those that are listening, this all happened in a very condensed period of time. Um, so from the time that I handed my husband the divorce papers, I probably found out about the shooting two weeks before I handed him the actual papers. Mm -hmm. So from that time to the day I got back from Europe, so that means handing him the divorce papers, leaving the house, meeting Javier, having that relationship with him, being broken up with and going on a month's trip to Europe. That was all three months. Yeah, that's nuts. It, it was so fast and so back to back. It was just it was shocking. So like everyone involved was like, how is this possible? Like it didn't it, it doesn't even now talking about it. It doesn't sound real. <laughs> was it really more reactionary than thought? In what way? Just that instead of thinking about, should I go? Should I not go? What should I do? Was it just, no, you know what? I got the ticket. I'm going. Because you could have cashed it out. You could have, you know, done a voucher for a different flight or something. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I remember sitting there after like the crying and like uh, uh, my heart bursting open had like subsided for a few minutes. Um, and I was like, well, you know, 
what are my options? Am I going to like stay at home? And I know he's going to be on this trip, like doing, you know, whatever it is he may be doing. And what am I going to do at home? And Europe had been on my bucket list for a very long time. I remember I had even told my ex-husband, like, before we're even going to discuss kids, I needed to go do three weeks in Europe. Mm. Like, with him, obviously. Well, like, yeah. as a um, <laughs> And um, so I, I think when it all happened, it was like I had nothing booked for work. I knew that if I was at home, I was going to be twiddling my thumbs. I had just moved back into my mother's house because I left my house with my husband. Right. And I was like that's the saddest situation I've ever heard. Like, absolutely not. I'm going to go travel. Um, and I knew I wasn't going to go to Italy necessarily. Cause like when he and I had planned it, it was, we were supposed to do all of Italy, like Venice, Amalfi coast, Cinque Terre, like all the Rome, all the great Italian spots. And, um, and our, our ticket was to London and then connected from London to Rome. So he and I flew together to London. I started my trip in London and he went on to Rome. Um, so I knew I wanted to kind of bounce around and quite frankly, like if you look at it, I got a way better trip out of it. Like he did a couple places in Italy mm. and I ended up doing seven different countries. <laughs> yeah. Not even just, just Italy. You went to, you know, other places, which is amazing. And, yeah. and all just like, uh, I think I'll go there next. Yeah. It was very spontaneous and it, it's so cool when you solo travel and obviously I've, I had never done that before. Um, I remember when people were like, oh, stay at hostels. I was like, you mean like the movie where people get murdered? What? What? Um, and for the record, hostels are amazing. You meet so such cool people. They're like, you know, they're like little Airbnbs. It's like summer camp. It's highly recommend. But they're kind of more interactive than, than just an Airbnb, right? Because Airbnb oh, yeah. just kind of stay there. But these people, like you'll have dinner with them. They're, they'll oh, take you yeah. places. Yeah. And that's how you meet really cool people. That's how I met half the people I traveled with. Um, but one of the things that people always say that's so cool about solo travel is like you can meet someone and they're like, oh, we're going here next. And you can just go because you have no ties to anybody else traveling with you. Right. So I, I was in Amsterdam and I was out with this, this guy that I had met at the pub crawl that I did. And we were kind of seeing all the different sites and we were standing in line at, at a peep show in the red light district. And, um, ended up talking to these two guys next to us. And we, we went to go get drinks with those two guys afterwards and became friends. And one of those guys at the end of the night was like, look, I'm going to Mykonos in a week and a half. I have a hotel room. If you guys want to come stay with me, let me know. And he and I kept in touch on Instagram. And sure enough, like a week later, I was like, you know what? I've always wanted to go to Mykonos. Let's go to Mykonos. <laughs> and I ended up flying out there and three of us met and had like a little reunion. And that was the only reason I ended up there and met all the people I met in that, in that section of the world. It was, it's very crazy how like every little thing or decision that I made or place that I went or person that I met led me to either something I needed to learn or someone I needed to meet or an experience I needed to have. It, it was very divinely perfect how it happened to me. Well, I think that's typically the case that we would have if we didn't let our brains overthink our decisions. If we just went with our gut or went with our interests, uh, I think we would have more of those experiences, but we just tend to let ourselves overthink or talk ourselves out of things because we start getting afraid of having fun or being right or what might happen if, you know, Hostel is a real movie. Yeah, you know? no, absolutely. I mean, I remember, you know, before I left sitting on my bed and my mom looked at me in tears and was like, you don't have to go you don't have to do this. Like you can stay here. And I was like, no, 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 I need, I have to go. 
Um, And I got why she was saying that. Like, I'm sure she was terrified and she had just seen me go through these two horrific heartbreak situations. But, um, you know, it, it really, I knew that it was all happening for a reason. And I think she did too. And she had, she was more proud of the fact that I was going to do it and get through it. And that outweighed her, her fear of me gallivanting off to Europe by myself. Sure. But and that plus, you know, coupled with the fact that you weren't an experienced solo traveler and to be going right. to places that you didn't even know where you were going to be going, I could understand a little parental concern. Oh, absolutely. And my mom, bless her, is amazing. And she's well-traveled in a certain way. Um, she's never, you know, she's gone places by herself, but like I have with a luggage and be someone picking us up to take us to, you know, whatever movie set we're going to shoot on, not right. to just like go be by yourself with a backpack. <laughs> sure. And it's always stuff that's set up. I mean, you're going to a yeah. movie set, so you've got drivers, you've got tickets, you've got everything yeah. already prearranged. You're just like, eh, I'll figure it out. Yeah. And you I know what? That. I was so taken care of by the universe on that trip. I mean, they're looking back on it. There's so many things that probably could have gone wrong and should have gone wrong. Um, and I was so protected and totally fine the entire time. Mm-hmm. And, um, it really taught me so much about how to a love myself and b be okay being by myself. And now, quite frankly, if you were like, Hey, do you want to go on this trip with some friends or by yourself? I'd probably rather go by myself most of the time. Right. Yeah, I could see that. And, you know, it's interesting talking about the hostels because uh, Phil Keegan, the the host of The Amazing Race, obviously he travels the world endlessly. And he always says, if you really want to experience a a culture, don't stay in the in the city, don't stay in a hotel, stay with families, stay in the villages, stay with. Yeah, you're going to get experiences that you'll never get anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in Amsterdam, I ended up staying at this apartment with this woman who she was in her 60s and was so amazing. And, you know, lives in Amsterdam, obviously, is Dutch and speaks Dutch. And um, it was just so it, it's such a special experience. And it was very interesting how my accommodations kind of unfolded. So when I was in London, um, my best friend from high school lived there. and I had at least like a a starting point and a home base. Although I was still out adventuring by myself during the day while she was at work, I still like had some type of comfort and a safety net. And then after that, when I went to Amsterdam, I stayed with that woman who I didn't know, but she, I, I was put in touch with her from a friend back home and it was still like a baby step forward. And then once I got to Paris, I stayed in my first hostel and did hostels the rest of the time. So even that, how it ended up working out, um, was kind of like easing me out into the world. Um, and not, you know, just throwing me to the sharks in the first city that I landed in. Right. Um, and they were all amazing in, and great experiences in different ways. Yeah. And I just love that. I love the organic. There's nothing more organic than what you did. The honesty yeah. in the writing, the the fly by the seat of your pants trip, the not planning anything. I mean, this is probably the best journey somebody could take if they really want to live. Yeah. And, you know, when you travel by yourself, you really have time and interest in looking inward. And, 
really doing some work on yourself and digging deep into like what it is that makes you happy and what it is that you want and what you're feeling and how to get in touch with those things. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really invaluable. And sometimes when we're at home in our day-to-day lives, it's so go, go, go and so busy that we don't even realize that we're not taking the time to stop and check in with ourselves. Right. And that's so important. Especially for people like you who are constantly involved with multiple things at the same time. I mean, you're spinning a lot of plates at any given time. You have to find that time to take care of you in the middle of that. And maybe that was part of all of this too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It really was the universe's way of being like, these are your deepest, longest standing issues. And this is going to make you go face those and fix those. And it really did that. You had mentioned in a couple of the interviews that you've done that uh, people have said to you, uh, this is the time to learn to love yourself and that you were like, OK, I'm ready. How do I do it? Do do you think that that's something that someone can really show you how to do? Or do you think that's something that you really have to find your own path for? Um, That's a very good question. And I think there's two answers. I think um, you're always going to have to personalize it and make sure that it's resonating with yourself, Mm -hmm. that, that it's, that it's working and it's doing what it's doing. But I think, yeah, um, I went on this trip and knew that that's something I needed to learn and was searching for this, you know, freaking pot of gold of like, how am I supposed to love myself? And I write about it in my book. I actually just posted about it today. And I call it the self-love cocktail mm-hmm. um, because obviously I have to equate it to wine or some type of like alcohol. Um, <laughs> and um, basically what it is, is you sit down and you write out things that you can give yourself that make your soul happy. So for me, that was going to the gym, eating right, meditating, dancing, creating. Um, and once you have your list, you then commit to giving yourself some of those things every single day. So at first it'll be a stiffer cocktail, like a vodka martini, and you'll only be able to give yourself the gym and eating healthy. And then once you've consistently done that, you add in some more ingredients to make it like a more fun, you know, mixology cocktail with a splash of creating and a shake of dancing. And, um, and before you know it, you're loving yourself. And it literally boils down to the simplest statement is to love yourself is to simply give yourself things that you love. And it's so simple. And it's like, you, you think about it, you're like, well, duh. Um, and it really is that easy. And when I started doing that on a daily basis, it completely turned my life around. Um, and we think about it like, oh, loving yourself, you have to look at yourself in the mirror and tell yourself that you love yourself. And that's fucking weird, A, and crazy. <laughs> yeah, I can't do uh, that. Yeah, it's like, no, but it, I, I don't know anyone that does that. If you do, more power to you. But that never worked for me. I was just looking in the mirror going, this is fucking bullshit. Right. Um, and so when you're in a relationship, you're doing things for that person that's making them happy and doing things that you know make them happy mm-hmm. and showing them your love. And we've never just, realize that it's so simple. That's what you have to do if you want to love yourself is just give yourself the things that you know make your soul happy. I love that. And I am ready for a drink right now in so many right? ways. You have no idea. <laughs> uh, I There's so much more I want to talk to you about, but I, I do want to ask you one more question about the book um, before we move on to a couple other things. Um, 
I, I love that you did not let the editors of the book publishers get to you and make you change this book. I love that it's raw and honest. I think that's the best thing that you could have put out. Um, but what's interesting is that your mom even tried to dissuade you from being as honest uh, as you wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that had the had, had you been a man taking this journey as opposed to a woman, do you think the reactions would have been the same? Oh, what an interesting question. Um, I don't know if it had to, I don't know the publishing world that well. Um, I don't, obviously, like I come from an acting background. This is my first writing thing. And um, so I don't know if it would have mattered if I was a man versus a woman, but I knew that I didn't want to edit my journey in any way. Um, My mom, when she first, you know, read it, I think she was still in shock of, everything that we had both gone through. I think she was more affected my, by my divorce than I even was. Mm-hmm. And um, she had said to me, she's like, are you sure you want to put this part in? Are you sure you don't want to change your name? And I think that was coming from fear of her little girl being judged, yeah. which is normal. You know, like I, I myself have had those thoughts of like, well, I'm probably going to get judged on this or, well, this is probably, you know, going to get some backlash. Um But at the end of the day, if my journey and my ups and downs and mistakes and highs and lows are resonating with people and helping them get to a better place and helping them heal within themselves, then like, go ahead and judge me, you know, for some stuff that I've done in my life. Like that pales in comparison to what it can do on a bigger universal level. Yes. And that was what was important to me. And, you know, when my mom read the final version, like in its printed form, she called me in tears and was like, you know, she's a, apart from an actress, she's a healing. Uh, she's a world healer and does healing sessions with people all over the world. Mm-hmm. And she called me and was like, you know, this whole week, my clients have been emailing and asking for a very specific way that they can start practicing self-love. And I didn't really like know how to put it clearly um, and they weren't getting it. And then I finished your book and it literally was sitting right there in my daughter's words. And it was such a profound moment for me to see all of that coming full circle. Oh, that's awesome. And yeah. And I think now when she read it the second time after she's been a bit more removed from it, I, I don't think she would have wanted me to edit anything out. That's really, really good. I'm so glad. And uh, thank you so much for getting that out there to the world, for taking that journey and being willing to share it. I think anyone who's in the entertainment industry always has a bit of a fear of what is this going to do to my career? How are people going to look at me? Am I, am I not going to get cast anymore? Um, but sometimes you just have to do what you have to do in your own life. And if you can inspire other people, share it. The people that don't want to cast you or whatever, are probably people you don't want to work with anyway. Absolutely. I'm so in agreement with that. Now, I have to say, it, it must have been interesting to grow up with uh, with celebrity parents and obviously your mom, Dee Wallace, your dad, Christopher Stone, and uh, so prominent in the industry. But I love that you have really carved your own space outside of that. Like, I don't I don't look at you as Dee Wallace's daughter. I look at you as Gabrielle Stone, who's an actress and a director and a writer. And uh, you've really done a great job on just being on your own. Thank you. That's so it's it's always so nice to hear someone else's perspective on that because 
as an individual, you're always like, well, I haven't really done that much yet um, because you're so hard on yourself. So thank you. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And and I'm sure that there's certain pressures or expectations that are, are set upon you because of that. But the, the stuff that I've watched you and I thought you did amazingly well. And uh, you did a movie called Speak No Evil in Arizona with, uh, yeah. with Rose. And I got to tell you a quick story about Rose. I used to live in Phoenix and I was heavily involved in the film community as a composer. And uh, I've met Rose several times. And every time I meet him, he looks at me with an eye of familiarity and then goes, I know I know you, but who are you again? <laughs> so <laughs> obviously I make a, a heavy impression on him. But this movie must have been exhausting for you to make because it is an incredibly emotional journey from beginning to end for you. You're like running the whole time. You're upset. You're scared. You're trying to accomplish something and you don't know what's going on around you. Was it a difficult movie for you to film? Yeah, it was a very tough shoot. It's funny. Every time I get off a shoot, I'm like, okay, well, nothing's ever going to beat that. And if I've got through that, I can get through anything. And then something else comes that's harder. Um but no, it, it was pretty grueling. It was two and a half weeks, three weeks. Um, and it was in Arizona where it was very hot at the mm -hmm. time. And um, yeah, there was a lot of running. There was a lot of blood. There was, I mean, there was one day where I had to lift the girl playing my daughter and run across the desert. And it was, um, it was very challenging physically and emotionally, but those are always the roles that end up being super rewarding. Um, and that was the first film that I did that kind of everything like fell on me. Um, you know, I had done leads in films before, but they were always like ensemble cast and I was one of five or one of however many, and this was just me. So it was, it was definitely a, a, a point in my career that I remember very fondly and kind of look at as like my jumping off point, if you will. Right. Um, and yeah, and I, it's a it's a really fun horror indie flick. Yeah, it is. And and I just, I, you know, and it was nice for me, too, to see some of my old friends like Greg Bronson and Alexandria Stevens. And I had yeah. forgotten that they were in the movie. So that was a nice little surprise when I watched it. And then I watched another movie you were in called Swell. Yeah. <laughs> this this movie needs to come with a warning that you better go out and buy a couple of boxes of Kleenex because you are <laughs> in for a ride. And there were times when I, I don't usually get emotionally connected to characters in movies anymore, but I wanted to hug you. I wanted to throttle you. I wanted to, <laughs> you know, so many different things. And, and I don't, those emotions don't get elicited in me very often. And that really shows the sign of a, a well-written film and great acting. Um, that must've been another one though, that was really difficult to do. That first of all, thank you. Um, Cause I'm really proud of my work in that. And I'm, so close with summer spyro um i always get asked in interviews if if eat pray fml goes to a series or goes to the screen who would i want to play me and i always say if it's not you know a big name actress then it should be summer mm -hmm. i just absolutely adore her and i think she's fantastic but um yeah swell was to date the hardest project i've ever shot um we it was a three-week shoot we started in Santa Cruz and road tripped up the one all the way to Oregon. So we literally shot in different cities as we were driving up. It was an extremely small crew. Um, and the material, you know, is so it's heavy, but 
it's like an underlying of heavy. Obviously, it comes up and there's some really intense emotional scenes that I had to go to some really dark places for. But um, other than that, my character's kind of like the comedic relief through a lot of it. But the the situations we were in and the behind the scenes stuff was one of the hardest shoots I've ever done. But I think that's why the performances turned out the way that they did. And um, it's it's for the budget they shot it for and, you know, how they did it. It's I'm it's a crazy little indie film. (laughs) I can honestly look at it and say that there's nothing I would want changed about that film. I think it was absolutely perfect the way it was. And if there's anything that's going to stand as a testament to the quality of your talent as an actress, it's that film. Oh, well, thank you. That really means a lot to me. Just blown away. And then (laughs) traveling down the the Gabrielle Road here, then I watched a movie called, it was a short film called It Happened Again Last Night. Yeah. And I got to be honest, this one just made me mad. (laughs) It made me mad because it's it's about a woman who's in an abusive relationship. And I've known so many people that that are in that situation and just can't get themselves to get out of it. Yeah. And it takes something horrific, if anything, to get them to do it. Yeah. And was there, now you wrote and directed this one, correct? So I actually co-wrote and co-directed with Rose, who directed Speak No Evil. Okay. Um, So this was the first project I ever jumped behind the camera for. So I wanted someone to kind of, you know, partner with me on it um and I was also starring in it so I knew I didn't want to take on all of those hats at once on my first behind the scenes venture Mm -hmm. and um so yes Rose and I co-wrote it and it wasn't everyone's first question is is it based off a real experience luckily no I have never been in that type of relationship and I'm very lucky to have be able to say that but yeah you've been through enough yeah (laughs) we did um we did meet with a lot of domestic violence survivors to make sure we were portraying it in a really real and authentic way. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had a lot of people at different festivals that we screened at come up and say, Oh my God, this is the most real portrayal of what happened in a relationship like that, that I've ever seen. And um, you know, it it was crazy because we just set out to make a little short. I had never done the festival circuit before and didn't know really where it was going to go. It ended up screening at 16 different festivals with 22 nominations and 12 awards. It's just crazy um, how much it took off. And it's on Vimeo. So anyone can can look it up and and check it out. It's called It Happened Again Last Night. And uh, it's definitely an intense little 15 minutes. But um, but it's yeah, it's powerful. Well, congratulations on on the recognition. It's well deserved. It's it's amazing how much you can pack into fifteen minutes. But it's a very very uh, intense film, very beautifully done. And I really enjoyed the lighting of it too. I think that was a that played a very interesting character in it because it put you in a certain mood. Yes, thank you. Wow, it's so great to hear someone like appreciate all the small things. Yeah, um, my my director of photography, Jason Crothers, he shot Chicago fire on NBC for five years. He's incredible. Um, and he actually, he just shot my, the last project that I, I directed as well. And I, I try and bring him on anything I go to now. Oh. And, um, he's just, he's really incredible and he's a master at what he does. Well, once you have a team, if you can get the team on every project you do, you bring them. And I've, I don't know Jason personally, but I, I, we have mutual acquaintances and I've heard nothing but great things about him as well. 
Um, so the film, the, the newest film, I assume that you're talking about after Emma. Yes. Okay. I have to tell you, I, I find it very interesting that you cast Amy Smart because the, the little that I watch, I mean, I'm working all the time, so I really don't watch a whole lot, but the, the couple of films that I've seen with her, uh, she's in one of my favorite Christmas movies, uh, 12, the 12 dates of Christmas, which is uh-huh. cheesy as it is. I love that movie for some reason. <laughs> um, and then there was a movie that she did. I can't think of what it's called, but she was uh, with a couple of the WWE wrestlers and they were family and she had to bring them all together. I wouldn't have thought about her for a role like this, but watching the trailer and I'm going to put up the link to it happened again last night in the show notes. And if, when you're on Vimeo, there's also the trailer for this movie and she, it looks like she really brings it. Yeah. Um, so it's so funny that you say that because a lot of people feel that way. You know, Amy's known for, her work in just friends and a lot of comedy and mm. romantic comedies. And she brought, I mean, I remember sitting with my editor and we were going, we just wanted to watch her the whole time because like, it was the most interesting thing to watch these different emotions go across her face. Um, like no one could have replicated it if they tried. I don't care how good of an actor you are. Um, and it's a really dark, deep shitty character um and when i wrote it i knew someone with a lot of like dramatic chops needed to play it and i obviously come from you know that's my bag as an actress so i hold that level of of dramatic work very high um and when when amy's name came up and i i sent her the script and she loved it and you know she hasn't done a short in over two decades like it was crazy that we even got her she she just really connected with the material mm-hmm. and um she's so fucking good in this film i mean people <laughs> i remember i pitched her for for a feature that i was in that i'm in development for and someone was like well i don't really see her in that type of dark role i was like oh no no no, no. here watch this film i just did with her <laughs> right yeah um, She's she's really incredible and she was such a joy to work with. Um, and she, you know, played Tamor Gazi's wife and he plays the lead in it. And the two of them together were just phenomenal. I mean, people and I remember when I when I first cast it, everyone was like, Well, you're gonna put Amy next to, you know, anyone really, like she's gonna outshine them. And everyone was so blown away by Tamor that it was like they were perfect together. And then my mom also played a role in it, too. So it was kind of a fun adventure on many different fronts doing this film. <laughs> I'm definitely looking forward to seeing it. And uh, you, But it is interesting when, when you think about people and you think about how you associate them. And I remember when uh, Tiffany Amber Thiessen went on 90210, I thought that's she can't be an evil person, you know, right. she's, she <laughs> has that, that just sweet face and you couldn't picture. But she was another one that really just showed her chops. Uh, you know, doing a completely different role. And I like when people are willing to stretch and try different things because it's got to be boring just doing comedy or just doing romance all the time. No, absolutely. And it really, you know, we're actors. That's like why we got into the business in the first place is to put on different characters. Um, I've, I come from such a drama and horror realm. Um, the first comedy that I did, which was opposite Chris Klein called the competition, um, was one of the best times I've ever had on a set. Like I had so much fun and was like, Oh, maybe I should start doing some comedy more often. (laughs) And that one's on uh, Netflix right now, uh, in real time, by the way, it's, uh, it's August of 2019. I don't know when you're listening to this obviously, but 
Uh, this movie is currently on Netflix. You had a nice role in that. Did did that? Um, it looked like you were having a lot of fun, but was there a certain sort of vulnerability to that too? Um. Well, for backstory, I play a stripper in that movie, and um, it. I felt pretty comfortable because I was on set with David Blue, who I had worked with a few times. Betsy Hume played the other stripper, um, who I knew very well, and as the director I had also worked with before. And so it felt it wasn't like a vulnerable thing and everybody made it very fun and very relaxed. And Chris was really awesome to work with. And um, nobody was uh, out of line at all because, you know, that's always a concern when you're doing a more sexualized role. Um, But we just had, we had so much fun. I mean, it literally was like going to party for a night. (laughs) I kind of had a feeling that there was a lot of joking around between takes and just, you know, kind of just, you know, free play. Yeah, but all kept in like very good taste and I'm very hard to offend. So I I'm kind of like one of the guys when I get around those situations anyways. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so we just had a blast. Well, I, I yeah, I, I really did enjoy that movie. And, it, and it's, you know, not the kind of movie that I would normally like, but I thought it was very well done. Um, it was it was kind of one that that really kept my interest. And I usually have movies on while I'm doing marketing or or, you know, working on the website or things like that. Um, obviously I can't watch movies when I'm composing, but when I have other times, that's when I, but I just usually have stuff on and I don't really pay attention, but this movie did get my interest. Oh, fun. Good. Yeah. Um, I, I know we got to wrap up here and I, I really can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I'm so excited about the things that you have going on. Um, I I wanted to ask you though, one thing I I referenced, uh, the amazing race earlier and one thing that I think is really difficult about those kind of reality shows where people are stuck together in a tense situation for, say, 30 days or 40 days together, I don't think that they can really bring out the the level of exhaustion and the level of emotion that that people are experiencing during those journeys because they have to edit out so much to fit it into the, the time frame they have. Um, do you think that you were able to express really the depth of how you were feeling and really take people with you in this book? Oh my God. What a good question. Um, yes. So the one thing I did when I hired an editor and when I say hired an editor, she did not change any of my words or, you know, adjust anything. I literally hired her to be like, make sure there's no spelling and grammar errors because Mm -hmm. I, that's not my jam and, (laughs) um, and help me refine it. Um, because it was too long. So she helped me cut about 15,000 words. And because I cut that much, and it was, you know, extra stuff like travel log type stuff, like now I'm going here and I'm seeing this and I'm eating this for the third time of the day. Right. Um, yeah, it gets redundant after a while. Yeah. And because I was able to take all that out, I was then able to go back to a lot of um, the healing parts and the, the self-reflecting parts and kind of expand on those. And, um, that was really invaluable. Uh, and so, no, I don't, I, if, if someone gave me a chance to go back and say, you can change whatever you want about the book and just snap your fingers and it'll be done. I don't think I would change a single thing. Good. I'm really glad to hear that. And just to give everyone a reference of what 15,000 words actually is, that's a short story. Yeah. (laughs) It seriously is. Uh, the, the novel that I I have in editing now, I think is 360,000, something like that. But 15,000 is a good chunk. I mean, a lot of writers can't write 15,000 in a day. Yeah. I mean, it, it literally, the it went from 
in the 300 page realm to in the high twos. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. The The title of the book, because I don't think I actually said it, is Eat, Pray, Hashtag FML. And that's because we live in America and we can't have language. So right. uh, it's actually <laughs> Eat, Pray, Fuck My Life for those people who don't know that reference. Was there any uh, copyright issue because it's so closely based to Eat, Pray, Love? No, I mean, obviously, I, there's no hiding that it's a satirical play on that. I'm sure. a huge fan of Elizabeth Gilbert and that book, um, but it is not in any way, shape or form the same or that book. But um, no, there was no copyright. There's actually a lot of um, things that are Eat, Pray, This. Like, I think there's something Eat, Pray, Die. Um, I know there's an improv show that's called Eat, Pray, Fuck that's out in Hollywood. Oh. Um, so no, there's no, you can't copyright a title to something, but um but no, it, it's it's very much in jest of uh, of my situation and her brilliant novel. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's kind of actually become kind of a pop culture phrase now, just the same way that you used it organically when you came up with the title. Uh, yeah, you absolutely. Know, that's, that's now kind of a just a, a phrase that we use in our society. Uh, thank you so much for taking us on your journey and sharing your life with us and being strong and taking that trip. And I can't wait to see what happens to you next. Thank you. I've so enjoyed talking to you. This has been such a fun interview and different for me to do. So thank you for having me on. Thank you, Gabrielle. And come back anytime. I will most definitely. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, guys, if you haven't done it already, go to Amazon right now and start reading this book. I'm telling you, it's going to be a fascinating read. And, uh, that's all there is to say about that. Go to Amazon right now. The link is in the show notes. Thank you, Gabrielle, for coming on the show. Uh, if you guys enjoyed this episode, please give it a like on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you heard it. And uh, you can follow the show there. And uh, you can leave feedback if you like, which is always appreciated. And uh, feel free to spread the word. Thank you guys very much for listening. I appreciate it. I will be back in a week with my next guest. Thank you, guys. Have a great day.